0: And now, it is my distinct honor and pleasure to introduce the person you've come out to hear today. And I haven't seen Michael in years.
1: There shouldn't be anyone.
2: Five years.
0: Five years. Holy cow. And Michael is always there. He hosted my what is it fiftieth or 60th something 40th, birthday party fortieth birthday. birthday party and i'm seventy three now, so I don't know All I can say is, I can't think of anybody that exemplifies the linking of the personal and the political. Better than Michael Benner. I really mean that, I swear. And that's not easy to do, believe me. And I'm still learning. But he's going to tell you all the things and how you can plug into the good things that he's doing. And I urge you to to do that. And the topic for Michael's talk tonight is a word that he uses. That I just love this word. And it's something I think we gotta do. The word fearless. And he uses that in what he's doing as a personal awareness counselor. And you'll see that if you check out his webpage. But the topic tonight fearless activism as a moral and spiritual imperative. And there'll be time for Q&A afterwards. There'll be time to announce upcoming activities. Marissa is going to do a special closing ceremony and all the things we do. So please welcome my hero, Michael Bennett.
2: Well, thank you very much. Uh, I must say it's a mutual admiration uh, that Jerry and I have, and and Marissa as well. I have known Jerry for over 35 years, close to 40 years. Back in the 1980s and actually beginning in the late 1970s, as some of you may know, I did radio news and and talk on ABC-FM, also on the AM side, ABC, but was probably best known for the talk show and news I did on KLOS. And Jerry was running an outfit called the Santa Monica Alliance for Survival. Yeah. All right. And I knew about the Alliance for Survival, the L.A. chapter, and a fellow named Irv Sarnoff, who just recently passed, really? God bless him, a wonderful, wonderful man. Oh, wow. And Jerry was doing his version of the same thing. And we've gone through countless iterations of anti-war movement, peace movement, social justice, um, all this wacky liberal stuff that we're compelled to do, because for some reason, we're in touch with our hearts. And that's where politics begins and ends for me. I just don't have a choice in the matter I didn't ever decide to become a liberal I just didn't see any choice I can remember as easily as if it were a week ago Sitting in high school Probably my junior year in high school Being the only individual in my classroom That thought China, we used to call it China, red China back then, as if there were a green China right, they were red China and there was a debate about whether they should be included in the United Nations and everybody in my class said no, they're commies they, they don't pay their bills anyway they should be thrown out of the United Nations and I'm in the back of the room the only guy saying, well wait a minute they're a fifth of the world they're 20% of the world I mean I just didn't get it I've never understood I mean I do understand what it means to be a principled conservative I understand the merits of fiscal responsibility I understand the appeal of libertarianism and limited government but what we're talking about now, at what started in the Reagan era, that's not conservatism. That was 30 years ago. And Ronald Reagan said, among other crazy, really wacky stuff, government doesn't solve problems, government is the problem. And I always thought, well, wait a minute. What other check do we have? What other guarantee do we have of our freedom? Who is there to make sure the Bill of Rights works? Who's going to protect our free speech? And the Fourth and Fifth Amendments, the right to be protected from illegal search and seizure and and due process of law, these are the most important principles in the Constitution, the individual liberties guaranteed by the Bill of Rights. So I guess I I don't really think of myself as a liberal or a progressive. I am. I have no issue, no problem stating out loud from the rooftops. I'm a progressive, but I'm way beyond the left that you know when I'm talking to most people. I think I'm way out there with some of you folks. And that we just sort of transcend this ridiculous binary spectrum of either or, left or right, conservative or liberal, capitalism and communism. Notice how people break everything down into simple-minded fight or flight, either or, as if if there's only two ways anything can be and all differences are opposites. And I don't know about you, but I'm fed up with that. In Eastern philosophy, I finally found something called the third way. And I thought, oh, philosophers have been talking about this from the beginning of time. Nobody bothered to teach me that there was a third way. And if there's a middle way, then there's a fourth option, a fifth possibility, a sixth permutation, a seventh way of looking at things, and now I'm free. So, yeah, I'm a liberal, I'm a progressive. But I'm so much more than that. I'm a human being with a heart that cares. And that's the beginning and that's the end of it. I cannot, and I have a suspicion I speak for a lot of you folks, separate my caring nature from my politics. I care. It's one of the things I must say that I admire about Jerry and Marissa, if you don't mind you said some very nice things about me. It's really you that I admire a man and his beautiful wife who dedicated their entire lives to peace and justice. Jerry with his little card table on the Third Street promenade selling bumper stickers and buttons down on the Venice Boardwalk selling bumper stickers and buttons and always, always there. You, sir, are an inspiration to me. Because I don't have the stones to commit my entire life to this. And so I have had jobs and career, and what we're doing here tonight is sort of an avocation for me. But imagine making a profession out of this, doing nothing else. Dedicating your entire life to the peace and justice movement. That's, that I find very inspirational. So I'll drive across town. I swear, I swear. This is St. Jerry in
1: St. Marissa.
2: I will drive cross town any time to do anything that Jerry well pretty much I don't know. <laughs> right. knowing Jerry he may stretch my imagination but you understand my point and I think that's the primary difference between what's happened to left versus right right versus left politics I could do a whole night and open it up to what I'm sure would be a very interesting discussion on the differences between conservative and progressive. But I think the challenge for us is to boil it all down and to synthesize it into something really simple and really basic. Even if it is a bit of a broad brush and maybe too general to use in every situation. I think if I had children and grandchildren who were interested in such things and they sat at my feet and they said, Grandpa, what is the difference between a liberal and a conservative? I would say there are many differences and it depends on the individual, but generally speaking, The right wing is about self-interest. What's good for me? And at best, my family, and my neighbors, and my community. And that's pretty hard to criticize. Because if we're to do anything for other people, we have to take care of ourselves. If you don't care for yourself, if you don't love yourself... This is the personal development part of all of this. You don't have much to offer other people. We have to share and give and serve out of our bounty. But there's some element... Some place where the right gets mixed up. And instead of caring about self and other people... This you and me world, for many of them, is a you or me world. And so self-interest becomes perverted then. Because I vote for whatever serves me and I don't really care about the rest of y'all. And that's where the right gets mean-spirited and nasty and begins to vote against its own self-interest and align itself with huge corporations, and my argument tonight is not that we're fighting to save the Democratic Party, Mm -hmm. we're fighting to save democracy. And so, of course, I believe that liberals, on the other hand, progressives, are people that care about themselves but live in a you-and-me world. I can't separate, and this is the heart I'm talking about, that connects everyone to everyone else and everything to everything else. And so, of course, we believe in the value of public education. (laughs) It seems obvious to us that each one of us benefits from the society being well-educated because it's too damn costly to have people that can't work, that have no jobs, that never studied civics, that don't understand the struggle for freedom and democracy from the Magna Carta forward. Our kids have to be educated. So I hope teachers continue to prevent Betsy Doss from or divorce or whatever her name is from getting into the public schools. This is a travesty. And public health care, my God, they argue about single payer and how expensive it is, and what could be more important than taking the profit out of health care. And making sure that everybody in our society, I don't care if you're an illegal alien or a Martian. You should be able to see a doctor and get the services that you need and good food and, 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 and training and exercise. Health is not a privilege, it's a human right. And if government stands for anything, it ought to be to help people stay healthy and live long, productive, high-quality lives. What could be possibly more important? And I just don't understand people that don't recognize the mutual interest and self-interest in making sure that everybody's healthy. Do they really want to take their kids to the... To the mall and have people with no health care and tuberculosis and coughing and sneezing on their children because they can't get. Obviously, this is why public education, public health care, public roads, public bridges, public land, well, we call it federal land, but make no mistake, it's public land. I mean, if the right wing has its way. They're going to be drilling, before Trump's done with this, they're going to be drilling for oil in Yosemite, they're going to be mining in Yellowstone, and they're going to be building condos in the Grand Canyon, and that is not an exaggeration, because there's money to be made. And that's what we're up against. The struggle for me in the last several months has been to make people aware that We're not disturbed because Hillary lost. We're not upset about what happened to the Democratic Party. That this is not any longer, if indeed at any time in the last 30 years it ever has been, but certainly at this point, it is not about left versus right. It's about, as I said before, protecting democracy from fascism we had dinner up the street tonight and one of the waiters, very friendly was asking us what brought us to this part of town and we told him and he said well it seems to me the challenge to you in speaking to a group like this is they already know what you're going to say I said, well, yeah, there is a certain element of speaking to the choir. What am I going to convince you of, right? But I have something to tell you that you may not know about. Something to tell you tonight that I urge you to study. And I'll do my best not to exaggerate or overstate this. But I'll be 70 years old later this year and always involved in politics and current events as a journalist. And I was upset when Reagan won. I was upset to see Nixon reelected. I was outraged to watch Bush and Cheney and Rumsfeld in their escapades and wondered at time about George Bush's sanity. But I've never been sick to my stomach before, the morning after an election. And I am sick to my stomach. Make no mistake about it, Donald Trump is not a politician. He is not a Republican. He is not a conservative.
1: Is he a human being? That's questionable.
2: Now, he may be many things. It appears compromised by the Soviet, Soviet Union. I'm dating myself. Compromised by Russia. It appears they have the goods on him. And it may be the P tape. And it's more likely that he owes them a lot of money. And unless and until we see his taxes, we're not going to find out. But 17 American intelligence agencies know. And I never thought I would think of the American intelligence establishment as my (laughs) ally. Oh, don't worry, Michael, the CIA is on our side. The NSA will come to your rescue. (laughs) And yet I'm sort of feeling like these are the good guys. FBI. Oh, the FBI, yeah, they're my buddies. The
1: FBI.
2: Thank God the FBI is <laughs> protecting us from Donald Trump. To say he's an opportunist, obviously, to say that he sees the presidency as a marketing opportunity right. is just the beginning. To say that he's a malignant narcissist, that he's a sociopath, that he's a megalomaniac. These are not names. This is not name calling. This is an accurate diagnosis of a mental condition (laughs) and emotional instability.
0: Sexual, pervert, rapist.
2: Take your pick. Right, he says. How about just crazy old man? We're old enough to say crazy old man, right? Can
0: I, can I ask you Wait, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. Not, yet, m- not yet. Not yet. Give me a moment. Yeah. What happened?
2: I haven't got to the best. <laughs> the most terrifying stuff of all. Here's what I want you to do after tonight I want you to Google the name Alexander Dugan. It could be D-U-G-I-N or A-N. It's a Russian name, and so in the translation it gets spelled both ways. Alexander can be spelled half a dozen ways. But basically, Alexander Dugin, D-U-G-I-N. Is anybody, I'm just wondering, this is not a test. Has anyone in here familiar? One person?
1: said, look at
2: who did? You did.
0: You said uh, here's something you should look
2: at. You heard me say it. And I
1: went, oh my god.
2: And you checked it out. Yeah. When we get to the Q and A, I want to hear what you what you learned about Alexander Dugin. Oh my god. Is that what I heard you say? Oh my god. Now Alexander Dugin is sort of the Rasputin of contemporary Russia. He's this crazy, mad genius. He's uh, called by many Putin's brain. He's written several books, one of them called The Foundations of Geopolitics, which has become a textbook all across Russia, in high schools and colleges, and more importantly, in military academies and among their secret services. In this book, Dugan describes, and again, Putin's brain. He has the ear of Putin and what we used to call the KGB. I think it's called the FSP now or FSB or something. He was a journalist for a while. He actually was a street sweeper for a while then became a journalist and now is a professor at Moscow State University. And in this book, Foundations of Geopolitics, talks about a fascist empire that he describes as the Eurasian Empire based out of Russia that unites all of Russia from China, West, all across Russia, you know what a big country that is, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, and the United States. Primary job is to dismantle Atlanticism, which is the way, at least he and, and others apparently, refer to the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, and the alliance between the United States and Western Europe that has basically made us strong and protected us from a world war, limited us to these Asian and Middle Eastern skirmishes in the last 70 years. The North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, that's why you hear Trump talking against NATO and and breaking down NATO. So this is an anti-bourgeois, anti-American, by bourgeois, that's the middle class. That's us. Anti-American, anti-liberal democracy, fascist empire called the Eurasian Empire that not only replaces liberal democracy with fascism, but is a white people alliance against non-whites. Because if you think of it, Russia, and these emerging fascist movements, Le Pen in France, Spain, Greece, the Brexit people in England, all of this anti-immigrant sentiment is being used to develop a right wing that goes, and you've watched it since Reagan in the last 30 years, You folks have watched it happen, the slide to the right, further to the right, further to the right, crazier and crazier. At what point does conservative become fascist? We're there. And Trump's behavior, yes, he's a sociopath. Yes, he's a malignant narcissist. Yes, he suffers from paranoid delusions. Yes, he has OCD, yes, he has ADHD, yes, he has phobias of germs and walking down staircases, and he may have FTD also, which is this basically dementia. It's an Alzheimer's kind of a condition, but he's also owned by Russia, he's a mole.
1: How did he get elected by the American
2: people? Well, that's another wait, wait, wait. question. Hold on, hold on. We'll that's another question. That has to do... We'll,
0: we'll, we'll get to it.
2: That really is, I'm sure most of you know, has to do with the frustration of the working class. And we share that frustration. And too many people thought, not more Hillary, not more Bill Clinton, not more of anything. And it was a perfect storm of conditions. I don't think of the votes that were cast for Trump, more than 20% were for Trump. 80% were against Hillary, against the establishment, and a big middle finger to the whole United States political establishment. America voted with its middle finger, and we got Donald Trump. People didn't vote for him, but we're stuck with him. Now, they also had the help of Russia, and this is what I'm telling you. We can't think of ourselves as liberal Democrats. And yeah, there's a lot of issues, like the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, so-called, and attempts to privatize Social Security, and this law that allows the coal companies just to dump their crap in the streams, and on and on and on. And there's a deliberate attempt to burn us out. Too many demonstrations, too many protests, too much protest fatigue, too much chaos. This is all deliberate. They're driving us crazy. And we're taking the bait. And we're already exhausted and it's been 30 days. <laughs> 30 days. I mean, isn't it? It's like a bad acid trip.
1: <laughs>
2: it's, it's a freak out. It, it's bad acid. Don't take the brown window pane. It's just freaking crazy. So to avoid burnout, and protest fatigue, we've got, I believe, my suggestion is that we focus on one or two issues and the one big issue, which is that we're fighting to save democracy, the Bill of Rights, folks, the First, Fourth, Fifth Amendment. Our freedom, our liberty, that our parents and grandparents fought and died for. The right for us to sit in the unurban coffee shop in Santa Monica without the brown shirts kicking in the doors and frog marching us out of here. Now, who's the guy in the Trump administration that is the Duganist? Anybody care to guess? Is that my wife? That's not fair. I just want to say You've been brief. <laughs> I was want to say that too. She's a whole. Steve Bannon is the Duganist. What
1: is Duganist?
2: Alexander Dugan. The man that I was just talking about that is promoting the Russian-based fascist empire. He talks very specifically in the book about what's happening now. The first attack is on the media. You attack the media with fake news, alternative facts, disinformation propaganda the next phase is going to be the jailing of journalists Mm. and after that is they just start shooting us Mm. you say it can't happen I was doing the news the day Kent State happened they started gunning down student protesters unarmed on their way to class La 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 la. Walking the class, getting an education. Bah, 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 bah. And Nixon didn't even apologize, and we forgotten. And the same thing happened to black students and Chicano students. Only Kent State was white kids, so we heard about it. That can happen again. Nixon, Reagan, on steroids. Bush. You'll pray for the days of George W. Bush. You will miss George Bush. This is the biggest constitutional crisis in the history of the United States and I'm not being an alarmist, I'm a meditation teacher. And I come to you as calm as I can possibly be and say, neighbors, we're in deep shit. And you cannot depend on the news media. Because again, it's this crazy world where just like we joked about the CIA being on our side now and the NSA and the same thing with the media. We're relying on the media to protect us and defend us and inform us, but who owns the media? And are they not on board? Are they not part of the corporatocracy? Do they not stand? The five corporations that own all media in the United States, the five corporations that own all healthcare in the United States, the five corporations that own every food market in the United States are huge multinational corporations. And the media is part of that. Is not the media stand to benefit? We can't rely on Rachel Maddow and Lawrence O'Donnell to save us from this stuff. As liberal and progressive as they may be, they are as bought and paid for as everybody else. When did Rachel Maddow ever question 9-11? Right. God bless her. I love Rachel, but when did she ever say, "Wait a minute, three buildings, two airplanes"? I yeah. don't get it. Yeah. Wait a minute. How do how do a dozen guys with box cutters get Norad to stand down? I mean, Rachel, Michael Moore won't even do that,
1: right?
2: Because they'll be disappeared. They'll be disappeared. Now. There's only so much I can do. KPFK won't even have me anymore. KPFK won't let me near the place. What chance do I have in commercial radio? (laughs) So you're not going to hear this stuff. From anybody.
1: Dan Rather. They dug up Walter Cronkite. Nobody's got the answer.
2: No, it's going to take a revolution of people like this, having Indivisible meetings. My God, have you all downloaded Indivisible? Do you have the... This is the most valuable guide for insurrection, protest, resistance, and revolution that's ever been put together. I mean martin luther king and gandhi would autograph this thing if they if they could it's a wonderful work all you have to do is go to indivisibleguide.com download it to your Thank com- god we've got computers and the internet you don't know how long you're going to have the internet chinese don't have the internet north koreans don't have the internet much of the middle east doesn't have the internet And you may not have the internet either soon. So get busy downloading it now. Think globally, act locally. What do I do, Michael? Everything you can. Everything you can. Starting with yourself. Educate yourself. Get clear that this is not a left-wing, right-wing deal. This is not just about one issue, or another issue, or another issue. This is democracy versus fascism. Fascism of the Hitler, Mussolini, Hirohito kind. That's what we're up against. Fascism. Look up. No, I I don't like working from notes, so. I don't normally read stuff, but let me just share with you a little item, if I can see it. My my <laughs> my eyes are so bad. This is just 10 points out of the Washington Post on what constitutes fascism. See if any of this sounds familiar. This is not how Donald Trump is like that? Well, actually, it is. This is, what is fascism? What is fascism? Number one, hyper-nationalism. America first. Make America great again. American exceptionalism. Number one, USA, USA. How about the world, number one? The world, the world. When do you hear that? Okay. Number two, militarism and jingoism. Donald Trump knows more than the generals. Right? Number three, glorification of violence. Remember those rallies? Yeah, beat
1: them up.
2: Yeah, boy, I wish for the old days they would have been carried out of here on the stretcher. The Hitler said that same stuff. I'll pay your fee. <laughs> Number four, misogyny and fetishization of masculinity and male authority. It's an important word, fetishization. I can barely say it. This is not just patriarchy, ladies. This is a quality of male dominance, authority, and superiority that borders on the sexual. When I was in college, I read a book on race and sex and what is sexy about this was the 60s interracial dating the taboo that's involved that adds a certain little thrill okay there's something sexually perverse about male authority bordering on pornography and violence And we call it misogyny, but it's more than that. And it's more than patriarchy. And the fact that it was women the day after the inauguration, women, moms and sisters and wives and daughters and aunties and grandmas that went into the streets of the world Men have been running the show for 10,000 years.
1: It's time for the women to take over. Hallelujah. It's
2: exactly what I'm saying. Step up, women. Find your power. You don't need balls. You need to be strong, powerful women. Pull on your femininity. And part of this is the rediscovery and the return of the divine feminine to a patriarchal religion. Women have been completely... The idea that God is a man and Jesus is a man Mm -hmm. and Jewish gods are men and Islamic gods are men is absurd. (laughs) And if we don't support our sisters and our mothers in restoring divine feminine then we will continue down this road of war and violence and destruction and desecration of mother earth the earth is a woman and that's why rape of the earth continues this is sick and perverse and I know you don't think of Environmental destruction is pornography, but it is. It's definitely pornography, and this is part of fascism. Number five, a cruel, ruthless leadership. You don't know any cruel, ruthless leaders in the United States, do you? Six, lost or stolen golden age. Boy, Hitler went on and on about the good old days in Germany and how we've got to restore... Make Germany great again. Mm. Let's go back to Pleasantville when things were simple and the world was black and white. Uh And women knew their place in the kitchen, (laughs) barefoot and pregnant, and black people and people of color weren't so damned uppity. (laughs) Make America great again means go back to Jim Crow and keep your mouth shut. Number seven, anti-foreigner and anti-minority. So the Muslims, the Mexicans, Afro-Americans, Asians, everybody else is the enemy except white Aryans. That's Hitler. Hitler, Trump, Bannon. That's part of fascism. Number eight, hierarchical structure with the purging of the disloyal. purge, that's what Trump's doing firing half of the State Department. You're gone. Nine. This is most interesting, I think. Most of us are not old enough to know this about Hitler and Mussolini. They were buffoons. They were clowns. People laughed at them. They talked loud. They had these great exaggerated gestures. And they made fools out of themselves, except people loved it. Again, it's strikingly ironic that Trump is a clownish buffoon. He's a joker, clownish theatricality, and a reliance on superlatives. His reliance on superlatives and the everything is the greatest or the worst. He can't use very without saying very, very. Right? He has a stunningly small vocabulary on the order of about 200 words and the attention span of a five-year-old. And people love it. We've got to remember, he's still at 39%. 39% approval. Yeah, you can say, well, doesn't that mean his disapproval rate is 61%? And number 10 is the narcissism, the compulsive lying, and the absolute lack of uh, empathy, the disinformation, the alternative facts. All of these points, according to the Washington Post, and it sure resonates for me, are typical of fascism. We saw it with Mussolini. We saw it with Hitler, to a lesser extent with Hirohito and Tojo. Most of his gems just aren't old enough to remember. And that's who Trump loves. And uh, I'm waiting for Trump to wear the uniform with the scrambled eggs and the braids and the... Why not? So, that's my pitch. That's it.
1: That's it. Thank you, Michael. Before uh, I Q&A, I... uh...